Um, I just wanted to start off by asking you guys a question. Uh, do we have any America's Got Talent fans in the house? I don't know. I'm hearing crickets. A couple. Okay. Listen, I, I love America's Got Talent. My family, we love to watch it. We love to watch it as a family at home. It's a, it's a great, for those of you that don't know, it's kind of a talent show, kind of like America's, like American Idol, but not just singing. It's everybody's talent showcase, and they're all competing for a million dollars. It's awesome talent. It's awesome storytelling. They've gotten really good with the storytelling aspect, and it makes for some great TV, and we really love watching it as a family. There was this one audition where there was a young man. His name was Daniel Emmett. I don't know if you guys, those of you that caught this last uh, season, um, he, he was a great singer. He kind of sang like opera style. Kind of was like kind of his style, but he, he was really, really good. He had a great voice. In fact, when he auditioned, everyone in the audience was enjoying the audition, and they were clapping their hands, like rooting for him and, and saying yes, yes, yes. Everybody was really liking the audition so far as it was going, except for one person. And you guys guess who that was? Simon Cowell. Daniel was in the middle of his song when all of a sudden this happened. I want you guys to check it out. Can I just stop this for one second? Uh, what is your second song? Have you got another song? No, I don't. You can't come out on a show like this and say you haven't got a second song. That's what live auditions are all about. You have a very good voice, but normally it's about connecting with the right song. I, I always want people with talent to do well, but just singing that song, that's not enough. And there is a song, actually, it would be amazing if you wish you'd sing it. What song was it? You can't just what, say what, that. What song? Tell me. Wait, I don't think you would know it. It's just a song, it's a song I know. And you won't know it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song. So only Simon knows about the song. Can I ask a question? One second, Jason. Alright, we're going to do something unusual as well. I think that you deserve another shot. We're going to tell you later on what this song is and ask you to come back and sing it later on. Okay. Yeah. Alright, well thank you so much. Thank you guys. So who's going to learn it now? So he came out, everybody enjoyed his performance, except for Simon, but instead of dismissing him, instead of giving him the red buzzer, the red X, he gave him another chance. What's really interesting, I bet you want to watch what happened, right? We'll go home and try to look it up or whatever. I'm not going to show you, but he went backstage and for a couple hours tried to learn this new song. By the way, it's not in English. He was singing like an Italian kind of opera song. And he's backstage trying to learn a brand new song that he never heard before. He comes back on and kills the audition and he got a second chance. In fact, actually, actually, he went on to be uh, one of the ten finalists for America's Got Talent this season. See, Daniel got a second chance. Now, I bet you guys know who else needed a second chance. As we've been studying through the book of Jonah, Jonah also needed a second chance. You guys remember Jonah's story? He was a prophet. Prophets would receive messages from God and deliver them to people. Uh, but he decided to disobey God and wanted to, uh, he wanted to uh, run away the exact opposite direction from where God was calling him to go. And he decided to run as furthest away as he could. The Bible says that there was a storm on the open sea as he was in the bottom of a boat sleeping. And he told the sailors, the only way to stop this storm is to throw me overboard. And so they throw him into the ocean and Jonah is drowning when all of a sudden the Bible says that God appointed a great fish that swallowed Jonah. And that fish ended up being a miracle because it kept him alive. And from the belly of that fish, for three days, he had the opportunity to cry out to God and to pray and to repent. 
for what he had done, his disobedience and running away from God. And then last week we read that God appoints the fish to vomit Jonah back right on the coast of Nineveh so that he can go ahead and fulfill the original God-given purpose, the original thing that God had called him to do. Jonah needed another chance. But the God that loves Jonah also loves the people of Nineveh. The same guy that was patient with the people with, with Jonah was patient with the people of Nineveh. And while he gives Jonah another chance, he also gives the Ninevites another chance as well. And in fact, that's number one in your notes when it comes to the life of Jonah, is that God gives him another chance. God gives Jonah a second chance. Look at what it says in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It's also uh, on the Bible app, whatever, and it's in your notes as well. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a what? Everybody say it out loud. A? Say it one more time with a little bit more. I'm going to give you a second chance to say this. Ready? Jonah a? And and then he says in verse 2, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Maybe you guys want to circle real right there or highlight or underline in your notes where it says a second time. You see, God gives Jonah a second chance. Now listen, some of you guys have a messed up view of God. You think that he's impatient, that he is unloving, that he is crude, that he's an angry God. You have a wrong understanding of who God is. But God is actually a loving, a kind, a patient, and a gentle father. Now some of you have a messed up relationship with your earthly father, and it's very likely that you're imposing the relationship you have with your earthly father with your heavenly father. If you have a messed up relation with your dad here, chances are that you can be superimposing that uh, view of fathership onto God. Listen, if you were raised by an abusive, disconnected, or absentee father, you may look at that relationship and superimpose that flawed relationship onto God. You may think, well, my dad hated me. He ran away from me. He abandoned me. He was never present. So that must be how God is. But God is not an abusive disconnected or absentee father that is not god you know for those of us that have children if you're if you're a parent we are flawed parents no matter how much you love your child right like no matter how much you love your kids we've all experienced moments where we've lost it as a parent and all the parents said okay it's just me i'm sorry i'm talking to the wrong crowd listen okay i'll change it i'll say i'm i grow weary i'm impatient and i'm imperfect i'm talking about me since you got a bunch of perfect parents here right We discipline out of anger. We discipline out of frustration. But God is not like us. God is not like that. He's a good, patient, loving, and kind father. That's who God is. And God gives chances. Why does God give chances? You know why? Because he is patient. And once again, here with Jonah, God is being patient and giving Jonah another chance. And what does that mean for you today? If you're here today and you feel defeated and you feel deflated and you feel discouraged and you think that God's given up on you, He hasn't. God has not given up on you. If you think to yourself, man, there's absolutely no way that God could love me after I did this. Or He will never accept me because I did that. God gives another chance. And what does Jonah do? Jonah was in desperate need of a second chance. What does Jonah do? Here's what Jonah does in your notes. It says this, Jonah finally obeys God. Jonah finally obeys God. And we see it in Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. It says this, Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according 
to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. You guys see, Jonah finally gets up. He finally goes. He does what he needs to do. And he finally obeys God. Finally, Jonah is tired of running from God. He is tired of his disobedience. He has learned his lesson and he's finally willing to obey God. It took him a long time to get it. But you know what? Don't kid yourself because we're all stubborn and hard-headed like that, aren't we? Just me once again. I'm sorry. But, if you know, that's, that's us. We're hard-headed. We are stubborn like Jonah. Guys, obedience in, in the Christian walk is extremely important. Right? In fact, one of the ways that we can measure spiritual maturity is the distance between what you heard from God and when you did it. Let me say that one more time. One of the ways that we can measure spiritual maturity is the distance between what you heard from God and when you did it. So the question you need to ask yourself is, what is God asking me to do? What is God asking me to do? And the follow-up question is this, am I being obedient to what He's asking of me? You know, perhaps you know that God has been calling you and encouraging you to be a part of life group. God has been communicating it to you through His Word. Every time you open up the Bible, it's like, oh man, there's this community and relationship and friendship thing again. Every time you read the Bible, every time you pray, you feel the Lord is communicating that to you. When you get together here in church with your church community, God communicates that to you, that you were never meant to do life alone, that you need to be in community, that you need to be plugged into a life group. But then you put excuses as to why you can't go. Man, I get out of work so late, or man, I have so many chores to take care of, Danny, you just don't know, it's so difficult for me. Or, or, or you know, I, man, the, the, I don't know the people there. You want me to go to a life group? The only person I know is one or two people, and there's a whole bunch of strangers at life group. You can't expect me to go to that. Or maybe the last time I went, they gave me a bean burrito, and it gave me really bad gas, so I'm, Danny, I'm not going to go back to life group again. Right? You come up with a million excuses as to why you can't go. What's the distance between what God is asking you to do and when you do it? You know, maybe God is calling you to, to, to disciple someone. You know, to take them under your wing. To show them how to pray. To teach them how to read the Bible. To teach them how to live in community and to be on mission. But you think to yourself, you, you know, man, I, Danny, I ain't no pastor. I can't do that. I ain't no seminarian. I'm not as well, you know, versed as some other people in the Bible. But God is asking you to use your experience, to use your time, to use your gifts to disciple someone. What's the distance between what God is calling you to do and when you do it? You know, maybe is God asking you to share the hope of the gospel with a friend or, or, or with a family member or with a neighbor? You know, you've built a great relationship with this person. Maybe it's a coworker, somebody that you care about or a neighbor and there's trust now because you've built this relationship. Maybe they're going through a difficult season, a difficult time, or they're just heading down the wrong path. They're going down the wrong way. And you know that they need Jesus. But you say, Man, I'm too shy, Danny. You don't know me. It's, I'm, not, I'm not an evangelist. You're asking me to share my faith with this person? Danny, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? What if they stump me? But God is asking you to share the hope of the gospel with that person. And if they don't hear it, they will spend an eternity apart from God forever. What's the distance between what God is calling you to do and when you do it? You know, maybe God is asking you to invite someone to church. A person who's struggling with their faith, you know, a person who's struggling with their faith, maybe they don't know what to believe or who to believe. Maybe, maybe it's someone that has been asking you spiritual questions and they've been having a spiritual dialogue with you, a co-worker who's been curious and maybe you've even had some gospel conversations with this person. 
What's the distance between what God is calling you to do and when you do it? God gives Jonah a second chance to obey. And Jonah finally decides to obey God's command. And as we continue to read, you're going to see, you'll see that not only does God give Jonah a second chance, but the next, uh, in your notes, number two in your notes is this, that God gives Nineveh a second chance as well. In Jonah chapter 3 verse 4, it says this, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now, at first glance, you might look at this and you might not pick up where exactly is God giving Nineveh a second chance. Because you might even be thinking to yourself, like, geez, Danny, why is God so mean? Right? Demolish a whole nation? I thought he was patient and loving. Where's all this patient and loving stuff you were talking about, Danny? Well, with the careful reading of this verse, you might pick it up. When did God say it would be demolished? When? Anybody pick that up? When? In 40 days. This call from God was not one of doom and destruction. It was actually an opportunity for the Ninevites to repent. Maybe you want to circle in your notes right there. Circle 40 days. That's the amount of time God was giving them time to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from their sin, to turn from their paganism and their false gods and false ideology to turn to God. It was actually an opportunity for the Ninevites to repent. He could have exercised his wrath and judgment immediately. And he would have been well within his right to. He's God. But he doesn't. God is patient. God is kind. God waits and lovingly gives Nineveh time to repent. And this is good news for us here today as well. Because if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe, you know, maybe you're just kicking the tires of Christianity. God is being patient with you as well. He is calling out to you. He's waiting for your reply. He's patiently and lovingly waiting for you to repent and to turn to Him. You see, our fate is the same as Nineveh. Apart from the redeeming and saving work of Jesus Christ, we have the same outcome as Nineveh. The destruction Nineveh was doomed to receive is the destruction that we are doomed to receive because of our sin. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. Our sin merits God's wrath and punishment, not just because we stole a pencil or told a lie, but because we sinned against a holy and righteous God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Guys, Creator God enters His creation to pay the price for the sin for His creation. Jesus lives the life a perfect and sinless life that we couldn't live, but He pays the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. He innocently and willingly laid down His life as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Then He conquers the grave, stomping the head of the serpent and giving forgiveness of sin and newness of life to whoever puts their faith in Christ. God gives Jonah a second chance. God gives Nineveh a second chance. And you know what? God is loving, God is patient, He is kind, and He gives us a second chance as well. You know, I love the way 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, in fact, I would love it if we would read this verse out loud together. It's in your notes and it's on the screen. You guys ready? Let's read it nice and loud. Ready? Go. The Lord does not delay in His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
Would you guys just circle right there in your notes where it says that he is patient with you. God is patient with you. Now, there's three things that the people of Nineveh do after receiving this opportunity from God. They do three things. See if you can pick it up in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what it says. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Here's the first thing that Here's the first thing that they do. Nineveh believes in God. The first thing the Ninevites do is put their belief off of their false gods and off of their idols and onto God. Remember that the Ninevites were a Gentile and pagan nation, right? Their beliefs were falsely placed onto powerless gods made out of stone and wood. What things, here's the question for us to examine. What things or people have you falsely placed your trust in? Do you believe that money or sex or fame or power or riches or relationships or success is mightier than God? Do you believe that these people or things have the power to save you? Here's a better question. What do your actions communicate? Do you say with your words that you believe in God, but your actions prove otherwise? The biggest temptation for most of us might be to put our faith and our trust in our own self. Not to put our trust and belief in God, but to put it in ourselves. Because we believe that we can save ourselves. And that's why, guys, religion is so dangerous. You can follow the rules and believe that everything's Gucci between you and God. But it's when we acknowledge how terribly short we fall because of our sin, and when we humbly put our faith in Jesus and our belief in a gracious and merciful God, that we can truly experience forgiveness in life. Guys, you can't pray enough, read enough Bible, go to enough church to save yourself. You need to put your faith and your belief and your trust in one person only, and his name is Jesus. Nineveh believes. The second thing Nineveh does, they fast. Did you guys catch that? Nineveh fasts. Now, fasting is when we abstain from eating in order to draw close to God through prayer, meditation, and God's word. In a nutshell, here's what fasting is. Fasting is letting go of something you love for something you love even more. Here's the question for you to think about. What are the things in this life that you crave after that draw you away from God? What are the things in this life that you crave after that draw you away from God? They may not necessarily be bad things or sinful per se, but they end up consuming all of your time. They consume all of your energy and they keep you away from drawing closer to God. For example, social media is one of those things. Platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, I don't know if you guys know this, but they're designed literally to keep you on those platforms as long as possible. Like I'm not making that up. They, they brainstorm. How can we keep people on this app as long as possible? That's why it's so addicting. And I face that temptation all the time, especially every time I sit down to prepare a message for Sunday, all of a sudden I get a message, a notification, I get a comment or a reply, something that I got to reply to immediately, right, whenever it's time to prepare a message. Work is another example. We need work to survive. It's not a bad thing. God created us in a way to desire work. But when it becomes all-encompassing, when, when you compromise morally in order to climb the corporate ladder, when you give so much time for it that there's no time for God, it can keep you from drawing closer to God. How about ministry? Another great thing. We can fall so in love with the work of the ministry that we neglect the ministry giver. Of course, we should serve. Of course, we should give. Of course, we should minister to our church family and serve one another and serve our neighbors. But when we draw closer to ministry than we do to God, there's a problem. Do you guys see that? 
What are the things? What are the things that you need to fast from in order to draw closer to God? What are the things that you need to stop doing in order to obey what God is calling you to do, whatever He's asking of you? What attitude change is necessary in order to prioritize what truly matters, having God in first place in your life? We can say all day, yes, God, you're, you're in first place, but do your actions communicate otherwise? Here's the last thing that Nineveh does. Nineveh repents. This is the last thing we see Nineveh do. They repent. And the passage explains, this is the way they explain it. You say, Danny, I didn't read that it says repent. Let me explain it to you. All right? The passage explains that the Ninevites wore sackcloth. And sackcloth was a garment made from camel or goat hair. And in the Old Testament, when someone wore such a garment, it was symbolic of sorrow, remorse, and repentance. Right? So they were repenting. That's why they wore that sackcloth. Repent means to turn away. It's a change of mind. It's like the Ninevites finally came to their senses and they turned away from their sin and godless way of living. Repentance requires confession of sin. It requires a turning away from what is sinful. Turning away from that and turning towards God. That is what is what's what's being represented by the Ninevites as they wear this sackcloth. You see, they're mourning their sin. They are admitting and confessing their sin and their waywardness from the one and true God. They're abandoning their idols. They're abandoning their false beliefs. They're abandoning their false gods to repent and to turn to the one true God. And for us, this is a great reflection point. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to ask yourself this. Think about this. Ponder about it this morning. Where is there sin in your life that may be hindering you from drawing close to God? Where is there sin in your life that can be hindering you from drawing closer to God? Oftentimes, there can be sin in our lives that keeps our prayers from entering into God's presence. God can, sin can keep us from experiencing freedom. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then consider this. Who will pay for your sin? Will you avenge for your own sin? Or will you allow the good and perfect work of Jesus on the cross to avenge for your sin. If you want to experience that forgiveness and that freedom, then you know what you have to do? The word is repent. Repent. Confess your sin and put your faith in Jesus. I love what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. It's on the screen and it's in your notes. Would you guys read it out loud with me together? You guys ready? Read it out loud. Go. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then I just want to encourage you to take that next step. Put your faith in Jesus. Our sin keeps us eternally separated from God. The worst punishment we can ever get is to never enter into God's presence. But God, out of His great love for you and I, made a way out through Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, a sinless life, making Him the perfect sacrifice. And He willingly laid down His life on the cross to die for your sins and for mine. But three days later, the Bible says that He conquered the grave and He rose from the grave and that He conquered death he conquered Satan. And in his life, we can experience newness of life. In his death, we receive forgiveness of sin. And all you have to do to experience this newness of life, forgiveness of sin, all you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. 
and your sins will be forgiven. And you will have new life in Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've never made that decision, to put your faith in Him. In fact, if everybody would take out their connection cards for me real quick, uh, right there. And I want to turn it towards the back. I want to show you guys something that's on the back of that connection card. If you never made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, you know, maybe you've been in church your whole life. And, and, and you thought you were doing the right thing, going to church. You, you gave, you served. But you never made a decision to follow Jesus and put your faith in Him. Then this is your moment to do that. Right there in the back it says, you can check it off. Make Jesus Lord and Savior. And as your church family, we want to celebrate with you. We want to encourage you. Put a Bible in your hand and help you take next steps. We'd love for you to check that off and let us know. Now, listen, for some of you, we're talking about Jonah finally obeyed, right? For some of you, you made a decision to follow Jesus, but you haven't been baptized yet. And that's an important next step that God calls us to. And so if you want, what's the distance between what God has called you to do and when you do it? That's spiritual maturity there. And so for some of you, God is calling you to get baptized. You put your faith in Christ, but you got to take this next step to make a public declaration and to proclaim to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've put my faith in Him. Then check that off. I want to get baptized. I want to help you take that next step in the next couple of weeks. Just check that off and let us know. We want to be your church family that comes alongside you, that serves you and helps you in this way. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you guys pray with me? God, we, we thank you that you are a patient, loving, and kind Father who gives us multiple chances. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to obey your word and to obey your call. All over this room, God, you are calling, you are guiding, you are showing, you are speaking. And I pray that we might be a people sensitive to hear you speak and obedient to move the direction you want us to move. Help us to believe in you, not in ourselves, not in our good works. Show us the areas of our lives where we've allowed things to take your rightful place. Help us to let go of those things and to put you in first place. God, give us humble hearts, willing to repent and confess our sin because you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.